0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 296 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I am the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a great writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I'm okay. That's good. What's happening in our world? Well, I've seen you, you like know? on the television. I've seen you <laughs> all over the place.
1: Not in the last week you haven't. Um, well, let's see what's happened. August is over, Father's Day's been done. We're just, you know, just doing stuff. We're just it's just business as usual
0: mm-hmm.
1: in our land. Okay. It's and it's good, you know, I like it. I'm happy with it. Procrasty Pop is wrapped. Why? to have me just, well because you know he doesn't like it when I go away because oh. there's no one to take him for his morning oh, coffee really? he doesn't get to see all his friends he doesn't get to have his little you know his social outing for the day yeah. so um you yeah, know he misses me and also he doesn't have any company it's a very long lonely day when yes. you're sitting around at home with no one to you know whine at so um he's pretty happy that I'm back in the back in the fold and just we're back to normal everything's oh, good he yeah. missed you I think he did. You should, honestly, like you should have seen when I came back last week, he was just, I've never, look, If I just honestly feel Mm -hmm. that every single parent who has teenagers in their house needs a dog. Uh Huh? Why? Uh, Because no one is ever as excited to see you particularly when they're teenagers, yeah. as your dog will be. And honestly, Procresti Pup, when I came back from the whole book week thing a little while ago, was just he was beside himself oh. with joy. Like he was literally like jumping out of his skin. And the boys are like, hey, you're back. <laughs> good good to see you. Can you wash my socks for me? You know, it was that. But no, Procrasty Pup, he was having, if you, if you feel like you need a parade in your life at any point, get yes. yourself a dog. Yes. Yep. Very, Aww. very good. Yeah, yeah they
0: they're adorable. They but, are. But we need to tell listeners who don't know why you were on the television recently, Al.
1: Oh, that was a while ago. I was on the television launching the MS Readathon. Wasn't that, that
0: long ago? Well, it
1: was. It was. It was four four weeks ago. It was really? a month ago yeah well it's obviously being you must be be watching it over and over again (laughs) which is a little bit weird but (laughs) let's let's move on rapidly from that
0: (laughs) which Um, is what i do with um tom holland's lips lip sync battle when he does rihanna's umbrella but that's another story
1: do you know it's funny you say that because that there must have been an anniversary or something for that recently because that popped up in my feed over and over again again um Yeah, okay. I haven't ever watched it the whole way through. Oh, it's worth it. It's great. Yeah, no, it looks amazing, but that would just be three minutes of my life. I'd never get back. Oh, don't be silly. No, but anyway, where <laughs> okay. were we? MS Readathon. That's right. Okay, so the MS Readathon is actually officially over now because it yes. it runs for all of August, and you know, because I was a, a an author ambassador for the MS Readathon, which was which was really great. I honestly was. It's such a great cause, and and you know, books and reading and reading for a reason. It was amazing, and you know that they have. Um, Raised over a million dollars this year um, for at the MS Readathon, which is brilliant, and I, um, I was just really excited to be part of that, um, and excitingly, I continue to be part of it because I I was a prize. I am a prize twice actually for the MS Readathon <laughs> this year. You. <laughs> Me, I'm the prize. So I'm the prize for the, the class that raises the most funds. I'm going to be doing a, an author workshop for the class that raises the most funds, okay, um, which is exciting. So that could be anywhere in the nation and I will keep you all updated as to who that was and where that will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also the prize for, the, for the, uh, the individual fundraiser who raises the most money as well. Um, and I, actually in saying that, I think the class one was you went into a draw and you know and then you were drawn out but the individual prize is the individual uh who a reader who raises the most funds for the MS yeah. Readathon and the prize for that is the is is the kids creative writing quest they get yes. to do my uh my online course which is very very exciting so um I will let you guys all know who the winners were but it's a huge effort that that uh you know, that some of these kids go to to raise money. And as well as reading books and getting sponsors, you know, they're baking book-related cakes Mm. and they're running little events at their school and they're they're just doing all these incredible things. And I I just, you know, I take my hat off to them. I think Mm. they're amazing. Absolutely. And if you did not raise the most amount
0: of money at the (laughs) MS Readathon and are interested in doing Alison's fantastic course on um, the Creative Writing Kids Quest, um, Alison, what is involved in it? What's it about?
1: Well, it's a it's a great it's an on demand course. Kids sign up. They can they have a whole range of modules that they can do. They get feedback throughout uh, for each module. They upload. Um, they get a video from me with some instruction, and then there's there's a variety of activities that are related. Um, they upload one of those activities, and they get feedback on that from the Yay team at the um, Australian Writers Centre. Um, and then at the end, they will have a complete. Eight hundred word story, mm. which they upload to um, to the website, and they will receive personalised. Uh, video feedback from me on that on that particular story Mm -hmm. so I read the story and I talk them through it and I talk about all the great things they did I make some suggestions about improvements I suggest you know places where they might be able to go to get you know more information if they need it Um, and I think it's just uh it's a great exercise um and you know particularly given all the woe is me stuff about uh the writing component of NAPLAN which continues every year um you know I like I like to say that the course is for kids who love writing and for kids who love to write better mm. um, and it just takes them through step by step the basics of storytelling and writing and, and helps them to construct a story um, that they then get you know as I said video personalized video feedback on um, and it's brilliant you know gosh I did a bunch this week mm. and I can of tell feedback. you of feedback yeah mm. so I did a, I did um I think five or six this week and they were they were such high quality. Like mm. they, they were clever, creative, really well-structured – and I was just sitting there going, I can't believe these kids are 9 to 14. Like yes, it's amazing. The kids, yes. Some of the kids are amazing, you know, um, and it's brilliant. And, you know, all you can say to those kids is, is you know, apart from constructive stuff, is keep writing because, you know, I just think if you've tapped into that when you're the kind of age that these kids are, you can only get better and better and better through practice. So yeah. um, anyway, it's a great joy to me to be able to do it. And, uh, I, you know, if your kid's a kid who – loves to write or would love to write better then send them my way. I'm waiting for them.
0: Yeah, it's such a good course. So just go to writerscenter.com.au slash quest to find out more. And it is a fantastic course. We get so much incredible feedback from it. We've even had some adults try to sneak in, but we What? But but no, you have to be eight to fourteen or <laughs> about eight. All right. So um, you have an interesting link for us from Lee Hoffman's site.
1: I do. And it is a great post. Um, I've shared this widely across a whole range of different platforms. It's a great post written by Cassie Hamer and it's called Stop Apologising for Your Voice. And I think it really rang true for me in a lot of ways because I do know a lot of people who um, are probably in this boat to a degree. And she she's written this great, you know, women's contemporary women's fiction novel. It's got a terrific voice to it. It's a little bit funny. It's it's a very sort of now sort of story. Mm. Um, and you know, when she first she she writes in the post that when she first sent it out, she sent out an an email, you know, offering you know, copies for review and stuff. And it was sort of like, as she said, I've written this book. It's just a bit of fun, definitely on the lighter side, so don't expect war and peace. Mm -hmm. But I think, hope, you'll find it enjoyable in a page-turning kind of way. Mm -hmm. And she got a whole bunch of responses but then someone wrote back and said to her, you need to stop apologising for your book. And it really made her stop and think because she had started out by doing you know a, a masters in creative writing mm. and that she had felt that she needed to kind of you know write you know a, a, a sort of a literary masters sort of a novel and so she learned a lot doing this stuff but and she she won some competitions you know with a literary mm. style um and was drafting 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 etc but she um was published because she wrote a story a very now sort of story about a fifth birthday party that goes terribly wrong. Mm. Um, And it was the kind of thing that she found such joy in writing it that she then felt like she needed to to Mm apologise for having written what she loved to read. That's nuts, Right. Yeah, but it's the kind of thing where I think sometimes, you know, it's that whole, you know, we've talked about this before, it's the writer with a capital W thing, um, where people will be attempting to write something and reading something entirely different. Mm. um, Because sometimes it's not till you really tap into that voice of yours, that thing that you love, that you're going to get published. It's the thing that you love that is going to take you over the line in so many cases. So I... um. I found this a, it was a very good post and it really resonated with me and I think it will resonate with a lot of writers because it's often how we start out is trying to write something and then the key unlocks for us when we actually begin writing the thing mm-hmm. that we're supposed to write. And I think that that's, um, you know, when people say write what you love, there's a reason for that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very good post. It's over at Lee Kaufman's blog, and we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at so au. Now, one of our most popular episodes was Dervla McTiernan's episode, and there's some news there, isn't there, Al?
1: There is, and that was a cracking interview. If you have not listened to uh, the conversation with Dervla, then please go and have a listen to it, because, you know, her description of where she was and what she was doing when she found out she was going to be published is just, you know, mind-boggling, um, mm-hmm. but that particular book, *The Ruin*, which was her first novel, very exciting news around that, which uh, was announced last week. So, Hopscotch uh, Features, which is a you know big film company, has teamed up with Colin Farrell's Ooh. new production company, um, and the favourite producer Lee Magaday, or Magiday for a screen adaptation of the crime novel *The Ruin*, which yeah, is. A fantastic uh, a, a debut, Cormac Riley. I mean, if you love that kind of novel, if you love a crime story, then please have a read of it because Derville has done a brilliant job. And the second uh, book in uh, second book that she's written is also amazing. But um, so yes, go back, have a listen to her um, to her interview, and then you know cheer and get excited about the movie because I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now this week it's very exciting why okay. because I don't know. it's time for furious fiction. Oh, Are you. you ready for some short story writing fun? Well, furious fiction is back for September and it's a cracker. Now, if you're not familiar with Furious Fiction, it kicks off at 5 pm Sydney time or Sydney Melbourne time on Friday, 6 September. And you have 55 hours to create your best short story following the creative criteria, which will be released at 5 pm on Friday. Last month, we received a record breaking number of entries from all over the world. Almost 1,400 writers took part. The winner takes home $500. Yes, an actual $500. And we published some of our favourite stories on our blog. Whether you take home the prize or not, it's one of the best ways to stretch your creative mind and achieve something amazing in such a short period of time. So you have 55 hours, which means you need to submit your 500-word story. So it's very short. Yep, Starts at 5 p.m. You have 55 hours to write 500 words and you submit uh, before midnight on the Sunday before the weekend is over. So you have to go to furiousfiction.com.au to sign up. You'll be notified as soon as the competition opens, and that's when you'll find out your creative criteria. So it's really, really fun, um, furiousfiction.com.au. Now, our competition this week is very cool. They, we have three copies of The Joy of High Places by Paddy Miller. A soaring memoir of longing, resilience, and delight in the natural world. In this extraordinary and unexpected book, Patty tells the story of her own long distance walking over hundreds of kilometres in Europe and of her brother's obsession with paragliding. Now, if you know anything about Patty or if you've read any of Patty's book, you would know that you could she could write about a blade of grass and it would be interesting. So <laughs> this is this is a very, very cool book. Um go to writercenter.com.au/slash win. Entries close the 9th of September. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. All right, Al. <laughs> I'm taking to that sharp intake of breath. Taking a deep breath. I'm bracing myself. <laughs> Are you ready for the word of the week? I am. Bellicose. Bellicose. B-E-L-L-I-C-O-S-E. Bellicose. Do you know what
1: that is? Do you know, it's a word that I do know. Uh-huh. Um, but I would be hard-pressed to give you a definition. Okay. You get what I mean? All right. You know, you know and you're not, you know but you don't know. Yeah, yes,
0: I have I'm another that. word like just like like that coming up, but I will save that for another week. So, bellicose sounds like it has something to do with your tummy, but it doesn't. It means inclined to war. So, you might say certain politicians have a very bellicose attitude.
1: Mm. Delicose. So from so more from belligerent than from tummy.
0: Kinda. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Let us move on to yes, our writer in residence this week. Patty Miller. Patty has been teaching at the Australian Writers Centre for oh, more than a decade. She um, is one of the world's best um, writing teachers and mentors in the art of memoir writing and, and life writing. Um, she recently wrote the fantastic book, Writing True Stories, and this is her own memoir. And um, if you want to see how it's done, then have a read of Patty Miller's book. So let's have a chat about. The Joy of High Places with Patty Miller. Thanks so much for joining us today, Patty.
2: It's a pleasure, Valerie.
0: Your latest book, The Joy of High Places, and I had the pleasure of attending your book launch recently, which went super, super well. What a beautiful book. Now, for those readers who haven't read it yet, can you tell us what it's about?
2: Well, The Joy of High Places is a, uh, about walking, It's about walking and it's about flying. It's about myself um, and my brother. Uh, He likes to fly a paraglider and uh, one day he broke his spine when he was flying, fell out of the sky and his spine broke in four places and he thought he wouldn't walk again. And um, I was very interested in, uh, at that time, and still am doing long-distance walking, and I started thinking about his struggle to walk again. And I thought, I want to write about I want to write the whole um, sort of passion for walking that I have but, and the passion for flying that he had. But I realized in the end that it actually in both of us was a passion for nature, for the beauty of nature and for a kind of longing um, for a, a sort of union, a sort of wildness um, connection in both of us that I hadn't suspected. So in a way, it's a story also of a brother and a sister um getting to know each other through their own um individual passions for um for something that was quite in, in his case quite dangerous and in mine quite challenging. So it's it's those two stories kind of woven together.
0: So at what point though, because you would have already had a love for walking before um the accident happened with your brother, so before you even knew your brother had oh was going to go through this journey. Were you interested in writing a book about walking
2: before that? No, because I actually hadn't done long distance walking before that. And I'd done a lot of walking, the usual kind of bush walking that that people do. But I I started um, long distance walking that year. You see, so and that's a very different kind of thing. A different thing happens when you do long distance mm. walking, and by long distance I mean hundreds of kilometers, mm. you know, a day after day after day, and that changes your brain. In fact. It, it slows it down and and it um, tunes you into a slower pace of of life and a kind of a more creative space. I mm. think actually. So it it really was that the two things sort of came together. That um, over at, over time, I kind of realized that his story and my story were deeply connected. Mm. But at, at but at first, I I couldn't understand why he was risking his life in this way. Mm. You know, it was it was crazy, I thought. Mm. you know, And it was only really when I started seeing the kind of similarities and talking to him and finding out about it. And I actually discovered him for the first time as well because mm. he's a very different person to me. So it was exciting in that way.
0: But I'm interested in what point then you, the penny dropped, or you realised there is an entire book in this. Like I want to write a, a full-on a book as opposed to just kind of exploring these parallels that you were going through.
2: Yes, I I think it it was um when I was I started to think that I just wanted to write about my own walking. Mm. And uh, and I had taken notes like if, every day after walking in some little French or Spanish or Italian village or wherever I'd I'd been taking notes, so I had a lot of material. And I started doing it, and I did research on on walking and how fundamental it was. In fact, that our our brain started developing when we started walking, and uh, uh, as human beings, I mean, yes. you know, we developed from you know sort of austral. Ithicus lucy <laughs> and uh, who who was the first kind of known um, skeleton of, of you know that must have must have walked lucy must have walked so that developed our brains and and i started thinking then about when i was doing that research and how important it was to philosophers and and um and writers i started thinking about um, my brother's struggle to to walk and i thought for him, I realized suddenly, you know, that, that it wasn't any kind of, you know, rom- romantic, um, you know, desire to wander around the countryside. He had to. He had to be able to walk again to be able to live his life again. And I suddenly, I even felt a little bit um, kind of ashamed, you know, that I'd been wandering around the countryside mm-hmm. while, while he was, you know, struggling to to walk again. And I thought maybe I can look at that more closely. Maybe I can really dive into what it means you know to to walk and what what that's about, but that of course led me to into um, his flying. Mm. So I ended up sort of you know um, interviewing him and and having endless conversations with him about his experience and and, and that's where it really came together really mm. it came together in that kind of our our, our desire for um, for beauty and for a, a sort of a wild enjoyment of something that really in you know outside doesn't make any sense you know it's not that it's not that safe it doesn't earn you any money you know it's 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 kind of um uh in a sense it's kind of pointless like lots of people look at me in astonishment and think what why do you do that (laughs) why do you walk hundreds of kilometers and i know with my brother like most of the family thought what on earth are you doing you know so I think it, it it's actually trying to open up that, and I think it's in all humans actually, you know, when they discover some passion, mm. you know, it, in the end, after that, it doesn't matter whether anybody else um, gets it or not. You just, you have to do it.
0: Yes. So when you decide you will be incorporating your brother's story and the, therefore your book now has so many more layers than potentially what you originally intended, and you mm. start talking to your brother I'm just interested in the, apart from, you know, really getting to know each other, as you've explained, I'm interested in the practical aspect of it because you you do, you talk to him informally, just through chats and stuff. You talk to him formally, you said interviewing him, you know, you talk to him in cafes, you talk to him over the phone, you talk to him over email, a whole variety of ways. What practical process did you use to collate, compile and
2: sift through the stories he ultimately told you. That's a good practical question. My <laughs> brother liked that question. He's a practical person, and and I, I think I. I took notes of our, our conversations, um, or if it was very informal, of course, I would just wait till I got home and quickly jot notes down. And I, I had notebooks and I um, printed out emails. I've got a big folder on my bookcase mm. of all our different conversations, and I would have it open beside me as I was writing. So I worked from mostly from the printed out notes and from informal jotted notes and then every time I came to a particular uh, point that I realized I didn't quite understand, I would send him another email uh, asking him, and he would send another two or three pages back. So I ended up with a huge amount of material, and the curious thing was that his his explanations, his writing, his emails actually started affecting my own writing. So that was a kind of curious side effect Mm -hmm. of it. As well. I don't know if that happens to other people when they're writing and interviewing other people, whether the other person's personality starts affecting them, but that's certainly what started happening to me.
0: And so I'm interested in the structure, how you determined the structure of this book, because was it something that you mapped out from the outset? And I'm guessing no, because you're not really sure what's going to unfold, but you know, do let me know. How did you map out a structure when you? Potentially, you, you didn't know what was going to happen with your brother,
2: or yes, did you
0: yes. do it later after you? It,
2: it you was know. it was a lot later after after we knew that he was okay. So it wasn't during the uh, it wasn't during the time. I mean, he, he, so he in a, in a sense, I knew he'd su- he, he'd survive, but it actually the the question you ask is actually a very interesting one for me because the structure was probably the most difficult part. Yeah. Of the- was I, I, yes, I started off first as writing it as separate stories, in fact, because right. I thought, because I, I didn't see the connection at first. You know, I, I started, you know, I just wanted to walk, write about his learning to walk and my learning to walk in a different sense, you know, my, my in, in, in a sense, inner learning to walk and his practical learning to walk. So I had it as separate stories, you know, and, and there was about, I don't know, 10 or so separate stories, but, but uh, they didn't work together because mine were quiet. And yeah. he's quite violent, right. you know, and and dramatic, you know, yes. and and I felt like he's all needed to go together, so they formed this big kind of um, dramatic. Um, lump in the, in the middle of the book kind of thing, and it, it didn't work at all, you know. And um, I realized, and I gave it to a couple of other writers, as as I often do, and, and other writers I know do the same. I, um, Delia Falconer looked at it for me. Mm. Um, Pamela Freeman um, looked at it as well mm. and gave a couple of suggestions, and I went away and thought about it. And I realized that I needed um, to find the through thread, mm what what was kind of connecting the stories and and started really thinking more deeply about it and finding the connections between it you know including our connection um to nature Mm. and also in in both of us, a desire to record what we did, because I mean, he's a practical person. Yeah. He, had, he had data and computer printouts, <laughs> that kind of thing, whereas I, whereas I had stories. But I thought it's the same urge. It's the same urge. You know, it's, it's like Kundera said, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's happened um, unless we make a record of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and for some of us, it's, you know, stories and paintings and, you know, songs and whatever. And for Barney, it was, you know, in a, in a practical sense. So I started finding the threads and patterns that connected it together. And then I realised after a while, it was working a bit better, but it was still kind of lumpy. And I, I realised I needed to, to break Barney's stories up, my brother's stories up yeah. more, so that they spread throughout my story as well. And then I realised because his... Uh, way of expressing himself was a lot more practical than mine was mine was more His was more like a photorealist painting if you like (laughs) and mine was like an impressionist painting (laughs) (laughs) so it was like these two different things happening and and I realized I needed to find a way of connecting our two different um, kinds of stories so I I wrote um, chapters that were kind of if you like inter chapters like they were kind of um, ways of getting from my story to his story. And they were things, you know, perhaps like the, the chapter about the, um, you know, the gods and monks, you know, and all the different mythological stories of um, of flying. So I have I put those kinds of pieces between the two. So it was a very complicated process coming uh, to, towards the structure. And I, I think that's often the case, you know, unless you're working in a genre where you've got a set formula or yeah. a set kind of um, way of doing it, um, you have to make it up as you as you go along, or otherwise you're just kind of um, pressing a pre decided pattern on it. And I didn't know what that pattern was. And I often think that I write to discover what's there. Yeah. I don't I don't write what I already know. I think for me it would be a bit boring to write what I already know. I'd just be like covering by numbers. So I think for me the whole excitement of writing is about discovering. And it's painful and difficult, <laughs> but I think that's that's the challenge for me. It's like walking. You head out into the wild and and you solve it as you go. You don't work it all out beforehand.
0: Can you expand a little bit more on what you mean by you write and discover it as you go? What exactly are you discovering?
2: I'm discovering, I think I'm discovering everything actually, everything that, that that is impelling me to write the book because at the first mm. I just, I don't really know what it is. I just have a feeling that I want to write it. Um, then as I start writing um, and, and the problems start emerging, the problems come from working out um, what it is that's really going on in the story and I mean by that I mean the deep kinds of connections and patterns and the things that I find out. About myself, but also about um humankind yep. and and in this case, um the connections you know that that I think are in all human beings um yep. in terms of their um heading out into the world and their the kinds of challenges that they give themselves, which are really maybe just a way of kind of proving that we are alive mm. <laughs> you know, that, that we are kind of connecting and 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 are uh, Alive to what's going on around us, and I guess it's also, um, you know, refinding things like that childhood wonder and joy and delight in in the world. So all those things that I'm discovering as I go along, they give me that kind of aha feeling. Mm. This this is this is what it's about. Like one of them, just you know, one example was um, when I realised when I was writing about my brother's experience that. His very dis- his very disciplined nature, his very methodical nature, which I had thought, you know, earlier in my life, I thought was fairly boring. I actually realised that dis- disciplined, methodical approach was the key to total freedom. I'd never, I'd never fully realised before that that discipline discipline led to freedom. I hadn't kind of. In your art, I mean, or your craft, mm, mm, and, and it's one of those things that I, I thought, aha, when I wrote that. So it's it's almost like I write to find out yes. the, the things that I didn't know.
0: And you have written several memoirs, and and other types of books as well. And you teach memoir. So when you are encouraging other people to write their memoirs, presumably you're encouraging them to also go on that um, process of discovery when you discover certain things about yourself it can be kind of freaky (laughs) and confronting and frightening and or sad and uh, you know it can be the opposite as well but it can it's also bring up a lot of traumatic stuff sometimes what's your comment on that if If you're writing a memoir that you hope for publication and then all this stuff comes out that is you know not uh, that's that that you're kind of wondering, should I be telling the whole world this?
2: Yes, yes, this this happens obviously all the time, you know that and that that are uh, the difficulties of of truth telling, and it's also it's it's uh, can be very emotionally painful for people. and in in the end, i I have to bat it back to them because. You know, I'm not a therapist or psychologist or anything like that. I'm I'm only humbly helping them with their writing. So I have to say I I can't um, tell you uh, whether you should keep going with this in terms of your – you know, emotional safety, you have to you have to be able to work that out for yourself. But one of the things I do say to them, if if it's feeling hard, it's feeling difficult in terms of the emotional stuff that's coming up for you, why not um you know, write some of the good stuff instead, some of that you know, the happy things and the good things just to give yourself a break. Yeah. You know, you don't have to put yourself, you know, through hell every day. You and and that actually incredibly works for people because it's not just the um uh, the relief of of writing um, about some good things it actually helps them rediscover their own lives that things actually weren't all all bad or always bad and it also obviously helps the manuscript because otherwise the manuscript would be too dark and bleak as well so you need that light and shade so uh, so I, I I I do warn people that when they head off in this kind of Way that I suggest, where you're heading off into the wilds more or less, um, that they will um bump into things that they had known were there, and people tell me that all the time, but they also like me, they make discoveries and uh, uh, new insights and, and new understandings about themselves and about the world, so it's it's worth it, it's worth the risk. Mm.
0: Now, you teach life writing at the australian writer at the Australian Writers Centre and you have mentored. Many books to publication. What do you enjoy most about helping other people with their memoirs?
2: Ah, that's that's a nice question. Um, mm-hmm. I just realised like a little while ago that uh, I, I got an email from somebody um, who, and I had regularly who I first met in a workshop when she was seventeen, mm-hmm. and um, she's now thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. So work okay, that out. That's that's twenty years. Mm-hmm. And I uh, when she uh, emailed me to say that she had had got a contract, I think it was from HarperCollins, I was just over the moon over the moon and and I realized it's something to do with the the pleasure of of seeing somebody um, develop. I mean she was an extreme case of it. you know she was a, she was just a, a, a child, a teenager when I first met her. so it really was like watching her grow up. So I think it's it's a lot to do with that with, with I, I get a great deal of pleasure of seeing people's work develop and and you could say that it was the pleasure of a parent as well you know that that you get a, a great deal of delight out of seeing somebody learn you know and, and seeing someone um, uh, gain confidence in their writing and be able to express themselves and I get a lot of delight from their delight in mm and learning and i've had i think um this this uh, young woman i was just mentioning um she's going to be my 50th um person that i've worked with wow so i think i should have a sort of 50th i think you
0: should (laughs) that's such a great idea
2: that's um that's especially that it's especially that it's this this young woman you know because because she she had uh, leukemia and she has been ill since she was nine and and um she did uh, three lots of classes with me and um, I remember in the second lot when she was 19, she was actually in a treatment and it, there was every um, possibility that she was going to die mm. and she thought she was going to die at that point and, and um, so it was extraordinary for me to see her turn up in another class yeah. and then, you know, see, uh, um, see her... Um, sign you know get a contract yes. for her book so it's just a, you know an utter thrill for me to to see that you know if you if you stick at it you know it really is that old kind of adage you know that those who succeed are the ones who keep trying yes <laughs> and i really think i really think it's true you know yeah. you really have to stick at it
0: how wonderful um now let's circle back to this book what was the um hardest thing about the process of writing this book on a practical level in terms of the writing process and what was the hardest thing uh, emotionally
2: I think the the hardest thing practically was as I've said that working out the structure yeah that, that was very difficult. you got
0: there though it's I, I, I got to the end and I'm like oh my god that's I don't know how she did it, but it's yeah. amazing. Yes, yeah, I think
2: I think now I don't know how I did it because it was such. I think you know, it was it was so difficult to do, and then also getting the two different styles. I mean, even though I wrote the whole thing, I was so affected by my brothers sensible approach that I, I, I became kind of you know practical and sensible like him and so getting the two different levels two different styles to to work together was was very difficult so those those two things that the, the structure and the two different um, kind of writing styles getting them to work together was probably the most difficult mm-hmm. and and um, I think emotionally I think really it was it was um, my fear that that my brother would realise that I was delving around inside him <laughs> and, that, and that he would pull out. You know, that that was my main anxiety, I think, because it's one of those things that you realise as, as, as a writer and especially when you're writing about other people, that you do go deep inside. And, and most people, actually, um, despite this kind of age of kind of performance and display... Are still very private, you know, in lots of ways, and and especially, you know, um, this particular brother of mine. And and um, I thought he's going to realise, you know, how exposed um, he is, you know, going to be in this. Um, but um, each time, um, he he was fine with it. The only thing he won't do and wouldn't do was have any interviews with the media he wouldn't do that and he explained why and I thought it was very it was very insightful he said because when I'm speaking I'm speaking about myself and I feel very daunted by that but he said when I tell it to you and you write it then it's your story Mm -hmm. and I thought that was very interesting that he made that distinction it's not really he doesn't see it as his story it's simply my version of his story.
0: Mm -hmm. And um uh, one of the things that I have to ask you is yes. this: um, you you talk about how you his your brother and you, mm-hmm. um, have dreamed had, as a child, as children had dreams about flying at night, and subsequently yes. discovered that. Uh, Your other, some of your bazillion other siblings had dreams of flying at night. And I'm like, I have never
2: had a dream of flying at night. What do you attribute that to? Ah, well, you (laughs) see, I started to think everyone did because there's eight in my family. And I found out one by one by one over the last couple of years as I've been writing this book um, that every single one of us had had dreams over the landscape and um, and we discussed the different ways that we flew. There were slightly different yeah. variations on it. You know, my brother kind of swam up through the air mm. like it was from from the bottom of a swimming pool, and mine was more hovering. You know, in in the air, mm. and and I had to run to go yeah. and that kind of stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's to do with growing up in the country with all that <laughs> kind of night sky all around you. You know, I I I really. I really don't know. I started to think everyone did you know that it was kind of <laughs> but the thing about it that's very curious is that I always believed it was true you know and and that it was really happening and 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 most of my life i I thought somehow I was something because I could see things from above, you know oh. I could see, and 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 my and others have said that as too. I I know what things look like from above, which I couldn't know otherwise. So it's a bit it's a bit of a mystery, <laughs> really, to me. The the whole thing is, but it, it it makes me think, you know, that maybe, you know, there's um stranger things than uh you know. Then we understand with our rational
0: selves. Sure, I found that fascinating. Now, um, coming back to the writing process, when you were doing your interviews, you you know, you're in, you, you know, you're writing this manuscript. Can you just give us a, 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 just a quick overview of the timeline you gave yourself, and, um, you know, for, to a first draft or or to the the draft that you were happy with, and, um, and and. How you achieved that in terms of? Did you uh, have word count targets or what?
2: Yes, I, I do. I had an idea that uh, I, I usually once I get going, I have an idea of how long a rough first draft is, mm. draft is going to take me. And I thought, you know, I would have about a year. You know, is what I thought I would get it done, and and I I usually or I always, in fact, have a kind of a very regular working time when I'm um, working on a on a book. Uh, That is, you know, I I start work at nine o'clock, you know, and and I finish around about two. So I have I know, and I know how much I can't get up or do any thing until I've written a thousand words so I know how much I can write in a week I know how much I can write in a month and if there's lots of other things that I have to do you know having to do workshops or or whatever else I will take some time off and go away you know for a week or two weeks or a month where I can write all the time and and I I know that I get three or four times As much done when I go away. That's one of my kind of real kind of uh, recommendations for anybody is is go away. If you want to write, um, take periods of time out of your life. You know, most people have jobs or kids or households or whatever. Just make time for yourself so that it can come together. I find especially with structural work, I have to go away, because otherwise my time is too broken up. But when I go away, and I rent a little, you know, caravan or holiday house or something like that. And I can work all day from early in the morning till late at night and work out the structural problems. So that's what I did several times um, in working on this book. I'd go away and and work on it, and and then it probably took me another year to um, redraft. And that was probably two, two or three redrafts. I, the first. Um, the first part I showed, I only had about five chapters. I think I showed to Delia Falconer, and she actually gave some good advice and said, "Think of this as this is probably a shorter book, you know, than your other books." Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, it was it was a very practical thing to say, but it helped me think about it in a different kind of way, and 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 I realised she was right, and it is, it's it's about fifteen 000, twenty thousand words shorter than other of my books. So that was, that was good, um, and I, I kind of got it working from her suggestions. I started working on it again, I re, even at that early stage. So the first draft was actually, you know, a couple of drafts, really, and then, you know, when I, I showed it to another writer, Pamela Freeman, mm-hmm. um, she, she talked about the, uh, that, that Barney, my brother, was really interesting, and she wanted to know more about him, <laughs> um, and uh, and I often find that that's what other people can tell me, you know. And I think it's a good thing to show your work to, uh, to other people because they can tell you what's interesting, and and it's not necessarily the things that you think been no. interesting, you know. And and so that that led oh. led me. And she also talked about the uh, through thread. Mm. Um, and and so I worked on that. So that was probably another year. And then there was a particular publisher who was looking at it, so a couple of publishers looking at it, and one of them made a suggestion about, um, you know, cutting a particular chapter and a couple of other editing points. And so I did that over probably about two or three months. But in that time, I got a firm offer from another publisher, Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I signed that contract while still working on the suggestions from the other mm-hmm. publisher and gave the publisher that kind of almost in the state that you see it in, in the book condition. Mm-hmm. There was very little editing that needed doing after the, after the publisher got it.
0: Yeah. Um, and finally, what I'd like to finish up on is, uh, we usually ask, "What are your top three tips for people who are thinking, you know, I might like to write a memoir?" Now, I'm gonna, uh, I, I, I'm gonna throw in the bonus tip first, which is <laughs> they should get "Writing True Stories" by Patty Miller, which is just the most brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. For anyone who wants to write true stories so number one do that but you still need to give me three others
2: <laughs> oh, I have said, well, thank you for that one <laughs> that, was, that, that was a very good tip yes. you know, I, I I think you need to you need to commit to it to make it the important thing that you're doing because otherwise it won't happen it's like you know going to the gym really I do think you have to schedule it into your life or it just won't happen. So you have to look realistically at your life, the work that you do, the other responsibilities that you have, and actually write it, you know, in your diary, you know, that you're going to be working, you know, from 8 o'clock at night to, to 10 o'clock at night or something like that. You know, just, just make it and make it regular so that it's, you know, at least three times a week because then your creative brain gets to work on it once you've set up a rhythm like that. So but- I think that- Sorry. Before
0: yeah. you answer the other two then, what if you're not quite at that stage that you're committed to writing a, a book, you think you want to write a memoir but you're, you're kind of scared because of the stuff that could come out?
2: Well, maybe it would be a good idea to come to a writing class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think – and I actually do um, – um, I'm not being facetious because I, I, I one of the things I notice is that's what it does to people. It gives them confidence. Yeah. So maybe and, – and also they see that other people are finding it, you know, it's it's a tricky and difficult thing to do as well, and that gives them confidence. So it's not just coming to a writing class to gain writing skills. Um, it's actually to gain confidence in yourself, you know, and, and that it is a worthwhile thing to do. So I think it's, it's probably – and I probably do that, you know, even before – you know, getting um, my writing book because I think it's actually working with other people that 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 gives you the confidence to do it. So go to a writing class. You yep. know, get the writing book. Um, you know, commit to it. And and I also think you know if you if you treat it as a not as um, Some kind of big thing because this is what most people do. They think of it as a big thing that's going off in all directions, like your life is. But to think of it in small parts, you know that. Because I always say to people, I do an exercise. I give them a ten minute exercise, and most people write about half to three quarters of a page in that time. And I say to them, look, you've written that much in ten minutes. So just think of it as something that you can do. You can do. You can sit down and write for ten minutes. You know, and you can don't worry about the wholeness of it, just work in small, kind of chewable, bite sized pieces for quite a while until you get your confidence. Because I think I've noticed that most people are daunted by the hugeness of writing 50,000 or 60,000 or whatever, you know, when really they can just sit down in 10 minutes and have fun. I think a lot of what I do is actually let people have like the the fun and pleasure and delight of writing and not be scared by the hugeness of it. That's why I never start with structure, you see, because structure just frightens you. Yes, (laughs) I think you start with making pieces. It's like making a patchwork quilt. Just make some pieces first.
0: Great advice. And um, on that note, thank you so much for your time today. I think you could write about a blade of grass and make it interesting. So congratulations on the joy of high places.
2: Oh, thank you, Valerie. It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au/slash creative writing. There you go, Patty Miller. Always love chatting to Patty, and of course, her um, life writing courses get booked out very early at the Australian mm. Writers' Centre. She's very, very popular. Let's move on to, well, what are you doing um, this week coming up? Al?
1: I am writing stuff, I think. I think that's my plan. I don't, do you know, I'm, sort of a, I'm not really having a plan at the moment. I'm just kind of, you know, doing what needs to be done. I like that. It's, it's a good place to be. It's, it's kind of, you know, I tend to overthink Like I under everything, but I mostly accept thinking that I do as an over thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right.
0: So um, I have things to do, and a bit of it to do. So we will shortly be releasing the um, uh, writing picture books masterclass. So a lot of people have done the course writing picture books, and they've gone on to you know publish books, and Mm. some of them are still writing. Uh, but one of the important things about a picture book, even though it's quite short, is that it's it's so important to get every single word right
2: mm-hmm. and for
0: every single word to count. And so the Writing Picture Books Masterclass is only for people who've done the foundation course and it will really show you how to edit your own work and take your, you know, take your manuscript and really polish it to the stage where it is ideal for a publisher. So, um. We're busy putting the finishing touches on that. Um, it's not out yet, but it will be soon. So that's what I'll be doing. Um, that sounds busy. It's busy.
1: Where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, a You will find me on Twitter at at Al Tate. A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you?
0: You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Instagram and Twitter, that's K-H-O-O, and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want To Be A Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.